this program has just absolutely transformed every aspect of my life. I have things today that I never thought I would have. Like I, I own a home today. You know, I have a dog. I have incredible friends. I, I'm literally living the life, you know, beyond my wildest dreams today. And, and it's only just beginning. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, howdy, folks. That was the voice of Miss Megan H. that you heard at the beginning of this episode today. And we're going to be hearing more about her and from her in just a moment. But first things first, this episode is brought to you by Fernando and Carol. Both Fernando and Carol went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, clicked on the Donate tab, and made a contribution. Thank you so, so much from the bottom of my heart, Fernando and Carol, uh, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. And, And you know, I'm just being vulnerable here with you guys. Every time I get a donation or every time I get any sort of listener feedback or anything like that, I'm thinking, okay, that's the last bit of listener feedback. That's the last donation I'm ever going to get. And you guys continue to amaze me over and over and over. I just, uh, I, I can't say enough about you guys. You are the reason that we all as a community are here. So thank you so much. And you know, I get on this mic and many times I have no idea exactly what I'm going to say. Like that just kind of came impromptu. And uh, I can tell you that I say a little prayer before I start this thing. I have a working guideline in my head of where I want to go, but we just let it rip. And, uh, and so you get what you get. So anyway, uh, there's a lot of content in this episode with Megan. So I want to get right to it. I'm going to say a couple things about Megan and then share one piece of listener feedback back and we'll have more at the end by the way and then we're going to hop on to this episode by the way I've been thinking about coming up with a more clever name than listener feedback Uh, earlier today I thought maybe I should make it sober speak sounds or something like that but anyway that's a complete side note Um, Megan H lives in Southern California she is a radio DJ out there her laugh is absolutely infectious. She has a wonderful spirit, and I just know you are going to glean so much from her story. I'm telling you folks, she is an absolute delight, and I really, 
really mean that she is. I highly encourage you to listen to this entire episode all the way through. Megan has some great things to say on the back of this episode. All I had to do was float up a few questions. So anyway, we got some, uh, we got tons of listener feedback this week and I'm going to have more at the end of this episode, but one piece of listener feedback I wanted to share with you on the beginning here was from Joel Z. And I got his permission to read all of this. Uh, and, and so here it goes. I live in a small village named Alon Shavut which has 700 families in it, and it's about a half-hour drive south of Jerusalem in the Judean hills. My main ongoing challenge is a compulsive, is being a compulsive overeater. I have learned through the 12-step program that my personality is very much in the classic mold of an addict. Luckily, in quotes, I don't enjoy alcohol enough to have made that a problem, but I definitely have used food just like alcohol. In some ways, I am, quote, jealous of alcoholics as they can define sobriety clearly as abstinence. For obvious reasons, it is hard to do that with food. I have definitely improved through the 12-step OA program and much listening to AA talks. Though I have much work to do to attain sane sobriety, I happen to be a rabbi and I have been profoundly moved by how the 12-step program is perfectly aligned with the central teaching of Judaism, the ongoing imperative to do a, quote, tesh, teshuva, a Hebrew word meaning and often translated as, quote, repentance, but actually meaning, quote, return. The idea is to return to our godly essence. We are all made in God's image. I have used 12 steps ideas in my teachings and they have resonated powerfully. I stumbled upon Sober Speak and I have found it really, really useful and inspiring. There is no AA meeting near me, so I relay or rely on listening to AA talks to help me along. Thank God I have a sponsor who has been generous and helpful. I very much appreciate your positive style. You are an outstanding interviewer, and I always feel better after listening, which is almost every day. I heard the podcast with Patrick B., who is also in OA. I would like to hear more from those who struggle with compulsive overeating. I need more insight, guidance, and inspiration dealing with food, and I bet there are many, quote, foodaholics out there like me. God bless you, and keep putting out those precious podcasts, Joel Z. Well, Rabbi Joel, I am so thankful that you wrote in, uh, just from the bottom of my heart, I so, so do appreciate it. Um, as I mentioned in this episode that all of you are about to listen to, the phrase six sense and we have entered the world of the spirit has been rolling around my little pea brain here over the past several weeks. It just goes to show you folks that my job is to do the work and not to predict the outcome. 
I have a tendency to believe that I know where and how this work is going to be, to be received, but I am oftentimes mistaken and there is something going on in the fourth dimension that I cannot predict and or even imagine. Once again, Rabbi, thank you for writing in. Uh, we're going to have more listener feedback at the end of this episode. Now, please enjoy Miss Megan. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Megan H. Uh, so I say we are sitting here. She is actually sitting in the uh, Los Angeles, California area. Is that correct, Megan? That's right. I'm here in LA. You're there in Texas. Uh, so, Miss um, Megan, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety day, tell us your home group, and then I'll ask some more questions from there, okay? Perfect. So, my sobriety date is 1-13-16. So, that means I got three years and some change. Uh, I have two home groups. I actually got sober in Covina, California, where I stayed in a sober living for about nine months. So on Sunday nights, there's a great uh, Sunday night speaker meeting uh, at the 502 Club. And I go out there every Sunday night and I am the chip chick out there. And even though it is a little bit of a commute, it's for me, it's totally worth it because I get to see my sponsor there every week and I get to see all these incredible people that I got sober with who have been with me along this whole journey. And then the other home group I have is the Thursday noon rainbow room meeting, which is at the rainbow bar and grill in Los Angeles on the sunset strip. Uh, and that meeting is so cool. It's really fun to have a meeting in a bar. It's upstairs and it's all wooden. It looks like an old wooden pirate ship. And it's a really awesome, intimate, great meeting where I've uh, really developed a lot of great relationships with, uh, with so many people. So let's talk a little bit about how we came across each other. Um, I did an interview on this uh, podcast with Miss Lauren, Lauren M. Uh, she's back. Ah, I wish I had an episode number in front of me. I don't, but uh, I don't know, 10 or 15 before this. And uh, so I, I talked to Miss Lauren and then as soon as we got through interviewing, um, I asked her if she knew of anybody that she could recommend to be on the podcast and she immediately thought of your name. So how do you and Lauren know each other? Can you connect the dots there for me? Yeah, absolutely. So Lauren and I actually grew up together as next door neighbors. So she uh, was the older, awesome, cool, fun next door neighbor that would babysit me and my brothers and would put on, you know, plays and dress up with us and rock out to music with us and we'd go swimming in the pool. And so she was uh, just this, you know, neighbor that I always looked up to my whole life and uh, her family and my family are very close. And, um, you know, so her and I have just known each other for so many years and uh, we've also been kind of along this sober journey now together uh, for a little while, both of us kind of going through our ups and downs with relapse and things like that. And so now for her and I to both be, you know, two women trudging the road in sobriety is a really remarkable thing. And, you know, even though, she, you know, she doesn't live here in California, we, you know, we text often and uh, she was out here visiting not long ago and I got to see her and 
uh, it's just, I'm, I'm so proud of her and uh, it's, it's been a really amazing thing for both of us. Oh, and I'm sure she feels the same about you. You know, I received, after we did her interview, I received an email from her parents and I had never received an email from uh, somebody's parents and it was just so nice and so, you know, complimentary of both, you know, what we do here on Sober Speak and of Lauren and her story. And uh, uh, it was just, it really, it, it truly did make my day. So. Oh, that's so awesome. You're sweet. All right. So, and you know, and one other thing I want to tell you here before we get started and that is, you know, so we have been communicating now for, I guess about, two to three months or so, you know, sometimes these interviews take a little time to get set up, you know, and every time that we have communicated your spirit and how you are is just so, you're so excited, you're so enthusiastic, you're so genuine, you're so vulnerable. And, I, you know, and that's why I've been looking so forward to this today. I mean, you know, everything, every text is like, Absolutely, triple exclamation point, or you know, like, uh, I'm excited, triple exclamation point. Oh, you know, you're, you're, that makes me so happy to hear that. Um, you know, I really, I feel like I'm excited about life. You know, I, I never felt like this before where I was just excited about every opportunity and that each day is a new day and I can make of it what I will. And, you know, and I'm always happy to share my story because, you know, when, when you were doing the prayer before we started and you were just saying, you know, let, let this story help someone here on earth. And that's really what my hope is. You know, I, I just feel like I really want to share what happened, you know, in my life, just in case it might help somebody and give them hope and for them to get sober. Oh, well, and I am thankful that God allows me the platform uh, to let people like you get their word out there. Cause I know that there's a, uh, you know, there's a need for it. Uh, there's a need for hope. There's a need for inspiration. And uh, people like you are an inspiration to me. So I'm glad you're here today. Thank you. And likewise. All right. So let's talk in a little bit about your, your background, you know, where you grew up, uh, what you have, your family, and what do you want to say about your background to get us jump started? So I grew up in a town called Rancho Cucamonga, which is a fun name to say. Uh, and, you know, I grew up in a really wonderful home. Um, you know, my, my mom and dad, neither of which are alcoholic. You know, um, my dad, you know, started his own business and he worked a lot. And my mom uh, worked with him. And then she, you know, was more of like the one that was taking us to the tennis lessons and picking us up from school and things like that. So uh, I have two brothers, one older, one younger. I'm right in the middle. I remember my upbringing being really a great thing. I remember going on family vacations every summer and, you know, just having a really solid upbringing. Uh, I think for me, when things started to sort of when the cracks in, in my world started to come into play was when my parents, you know, decided to, you know, that they were going to get a divorce. And how old were you when that occurred? Uh, I was 11. 
And what happened was they told us they were going to get divorced. And then uh, two weeks later, me and my younger brother and my dad, we went on a walk together uh, or on a bike ride slash walk. And uh, it was on this uh, bike ride that my little brother was actually hit by a truck uh, right in front of my face. And it was our neighbor. It was a hit and run. Uh, He was drunk. It was just, uh, it was definitely the moment in my life that for me, everything kind of stopped. And, you know, he was in the hospital for about three months. He, he ended up losing uh, his left leg. It had to get amputated and, uh, you know, broke every bone in his face. Um, They had to reconstruct his whole face based on photos that we brought in. You know, it, it was really, really, really a hard time for, for me and for my family. And so we, you know, just had to kind of, deal with all of that happening in the midst of the family life falling apart as well. Oh no. Oh my goodness. So first of all, did they ever catch the guy? They did actually. He ended up, uh, after, you know, he left the scene of the crime. I mean, he honestly only lived about 10 houses down. So he went home and he was spraying the hosing down the blood off of his truck when his mom came out and saw that and she called the police. So they, yeah. So he did go to go to prison for, for a long time. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But the damage had been done to your poor brother. My God. Yeah, he was only seven years old and, uh, you know, it was, I mean, it was awful. It was really like the, and it wasn't like when he got out of the hospital, that was it. It was like, he was in and out of the hospital for a really long time because, of, you know, just the physical therapy, you know, his teeth got all knocked out. So he constantly had to go and have all of these uh, treatments done and just so many different things, you know, surgeries just endlessly, um, you know, and, but I will say, you know, he is, he's awesome today. You know, he's more active than I am. He plays ice hockey. He's a goaltender. He, he, he really is very resilient, even though he has been really put through the ringer in this life. But you know, that was just one of those moments in my life where I just shut down. So your parents told you they're getting a divorce. Your brother goes through this horrific accident. What happened after that? When did you start drinking and using? Well, it was not long after that. I I would say I was about 13 when I tried my first drink and it was, I think it was a wine cooler. I think I was uh, in San Diego with my family on a vacation and I, I stole a wine cooler out of, you know, from my mom, you know, I stole it out of our cooler and I remember drinking it and it tasted really sweet and bubbly. And I remember catching like a little teeny buzz off of that and thinking, oh, this is really awesome. And then from there, it, it really just, it progressed rapidly where I, uh, me and my friends, you know, we would be either stealing liquor out of my parents' cabinets and, and drinking liquor and, and like shots. I mean, I would be taking, you know, seven shots. It was like I was drinking to like just go to oblivion. I, uh, I remember being a blackout drinker almost immediately. And I remember that I was doing things that I would never have done if I was sober, you know, it gave me the courage and the confidence to talk to guys and feel comfortable in my own skin. And like a lot of us talk about, it was just that, ah, feeling of, oh, okay, I can breathe, you know? Oh my God. I'm like, where has this been? You know? And so, yeah, it was, it was, uh, from there, you know, going into high school and stuff, it was, 
pulling hey misters outside of liquor stores, asking them to buy us liquor. And, you know, my dad worked a lot. So, uh, you know, I would have people come over to my dad's house and we would just be drinking to get really drunk. So that's really where it kind of began. Did you live with your mom or your dad after the split? So we were splitting up half and half. Uh, but I, you know, for, I would say like my home base where all my stuff was, was at my mom's house. It wasn't until I was about 17 that she kicked me out finally after she had kind of had enough. And I ended up moving in with my dad. Okay. So this is another thing I want to talk about on the front end of this. You, uh, as we have mentioned, lived in, you live in California and you have some sort of sense of notoriety, right? I'm not going to say your last name just out of respect for the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous, but your notoriety comes from your job. Why don't you yeah. talk about your job a little bit, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I have always loved in my life is music. Uh, I, you know, I would take singing lessons from the time I was a little girl. And I always loved listening to music. And uh, so when I was going to college in the Bay Area, I had met somebody up there who worked at a radio station. And when I was at their summer concert, he, you know, took me backstage and we were just walking around and talking. And I think that he could tell that I was just on fire for music. So he saw something in me that I didn't even see at that time. I didn't even know that radio was a profession that you could actually go into. It just never occurred to me. So he kept asking me to intern at the station and I was never able to because my classes coincided with that internship and stuff, but uh, it planted a seed in my brain. So when I graduated from college and I moved to San Diego, uh, I got an internship at a radio station there uh, where I was just working on the promotions team, handing out stickers, putting up the tents, putting up flyers and posters and all that kinds of stuff. And uh, I just really loved it. I loved being around music. I loved that I could meet all these bands that I had been worshiping for my whole life. And I just thought, oh, this is so cool. Like, I, I would love to get into this, you know. But as it goes, my disease was progressing at the same time. So by this point, you know, I had gotten into a lot of harder drugs and I was doing cocaine almost every day. And what happened was all I had to do to continue this internship was go and get this paperwork filled out. I had signed up at a community college so that I could take this internship. And all I needed to do was go and get this paper signed by the teacher so I could continue my internship. And I couldn't even go and do that because I was so caught up in my partying ways. And the day that I had to go get the paper signed, I was coming down and I just could not bring myself to go and do it. So I ended up uh, getting let go from that internship. And this is an unpaid internship that I'm getting fired from. Okay? <laughs> I mean, how sad is that? Um, but, you know, but it was after that point that for the first time ever, I was actually introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous because. I had a scare one time, one night where I had just done too much drugs and I stood up and everything went black for me. And I remember the next day I called my mom and I said, I think I need help. So that was actually when I was, I believe I was, I was 21 or 22. And what I, year would that have been when you were in that was, um, 2009, 2009. Okay. And yeah. So that was the first time that I ever walked into the rooms of a uh, 12 step recovery. And so, and so how did you get there? How did you find it? Did, did you know people who were in it already? A good friend of mine, her husband was sober. And so she was the one who said, you know, you should just go check out some meetings, you know? And so that's what I did. 
And I managed to string together some time, uh, not, not much, you know, maybe 70 days. And for me, when I get sober, I get stuff back really fast, you know? And so I decided within that 70 days, I was going to go back to San Francisco area and I was going to get my master's degree to become a marriage and family therapist because I had all the answers, you know, <laughs> and then I was going to, uh, kind of start over. I was, I just decided to do a geographic as we do. So, uh, I did, I managed to get into, uh, the school that I had graduated from to go back there. And then, um, right before I was going to be moving up to the Bay, I was reached out to by that same guy who had wanted me to do the internship all those years ago. And he said, Hey, I see that you're moving back up to the Bay. I'm launching this night show. Would you on the, you know, on the radio and would you want to come and help me out on this night show? And I was like, yes, like that would be incredible. You know? So I moved a bit to the Bay. I dropped my bags and I literally started at the radio station this, the next day. You know, I was just helping out on the night show. I wasn't doing a lot. Um, it was the first ever user controlled radio show where we were interacting with people and they were voting things on via their computers at home. And it was this really fun thing. So I was like shouting out these people who were in the chat rooms and stuff like that. Um, and eventually I decided to make what's called an air check. And that is an example of what you're going to sound like on the radio. What's that called? An air check? Air check. Yeah. I, I made this air check with the help of a good friend and turned it into the program director. And the next thing I knew, he said, Hey, you know, we want to put you on, on the weekend. So, you know, I was going to school full time, uh, to get my master's. I was working Monday through Friday nights on this night show. And then now I'm working Saturday and Sundays on the, on the air too. So my, you know, I was functional in my addiction until I wasn't, you know what I mean? It was like, uh, you know, I was able to kind of keep everything at bay. I remember when I moved to the Bay area, I thought, okay, well, cocaine and ecstasy, those are, those are my big problems. I've got to leave those alone. But when it comes to alcohol and weed, you know, those are fine. You know, those never did me wrong, which of course they did, but we justify, we justify, we justify, you know? So I, I was working uh, at the station in San Francisco and getting, I got promoted from weekends to taking over that night show to middays to inevitably getting a morning show with that same person I had started the night show with. And my career was really taking off, but my disease was also progressing at the same time. Before I knew it, you know, I was addicted to uh, opiates because it just started with kind of taking pills every day and being around certain people that were introducing me to different things. And, you know, I just kind of found what I love doing and that was opiates. Um, but I also discovered for the first time what it meant to, to be fully addicted, like physically addicted to a drug. And that was a kind of a daunting moment for me, but you know, we compartmentalize and we just stuff things down and justify it and all that stuff. So I, um, so it kind of progressed eventually into, into me, you know, getting into heroin. So what had happened was I started to make some very poor decisions at that radio station and, uh, they inevitably had to let me go. You know, that for me was one of the worst days of my life, but looking back now, it was actually the best possible thing that could have ever happened to me because it started me going down the road of hitting my bottom that I very, very needed, much needed to, to hit. You know, so I, uh, at that point, you know, I got fired. 
I was pretty much, I pretty much became homeless because I know I was, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. It's not like I had any money saved up. All my money was going towards supporting my habit. And I was in a, you know, a relationship that wasn't really going anywhere. And it was, we were both addicts together. And so pretty much, you know, I was, I had just lost everything and I was crashing on friends' couches and just like, I just looked around and I was like, how am I living this life? You know, uh, I, I managed to get a job at a winery um, to kind of get myself on my feet. And that's a great job for an alcoholic, just <laughs> so you know. Um, you know, but it wasn't long after that until I I really, really did bottom out. And I just, one day I just was like, I got to, I need help. Like my life is in shambles. And, and I inevitably called my mom and said, you know, I need to come home. And, that, and then I went into rehab. It wasn't the end of it all though. I let me make sure I got the progress. So you, yeah. you gained some sort of, uh, I don't want you to say notoriety or whatever, but you gained, you, you were, uh, esteemed in, in your profession, things were going up. And then, like you said, your addiction was also taken off at the same time. And, and then the bottom kind of fell out and you, you got fired from your job. What year was that? Uh, that was 2013 that I got fired. Mm -hmm. So you still had three more years, uh, approximately of, um, doing the deal out there. Yep. Uh, yeah. Where so I was. How did that three years go? Yeah. So I had gotten out of rehab. I moved back in with my mom and then I had gotten a job offer in Orange County uh, just to kind of work in production. And I decided to move into a sober living down there and I moved into sober living and it was just, it's the same old story where I stopped going to meetings. You know, I didn't really have a sponsor. I wasn't actively working a step it was not the best environment. And I was, uh, hanging out with an old friend, you know, we were, we were kind of using together and stuff like that. And, you know, I just had gotten right back into it again, you know, but even worse. And it wasn't long after that, that my friend actually ended up passing away. You know, he had overdosed and died when that happened for me that really jolted me. That was the first person that I had encountered that had had passed away from this disease. And it made everything very crystal clear for me. I realized that I was either going to die or I was going to end up going to prison because this just couldn't keep going on. So I moved out of the sober living and I moved in with a friend in Covina, California and I didn't have a plan of any t type. I kind of just was like working odd jobs. I was nannying. I was, you know, just kind of doing whatever I could to make money. You were a nanny, is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I know. I know. But, you know, it's it was just one of those things. But it was like, I think in some ways still to the world, it was not like you would look at someone like me and think this person is a strung out drug addict. Like, yeah. So, so, so that's a good point. So cover that a little bit more because you were walking around, you we have a tendency to blend in, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not like you would walk in to get a nanny job and somebody would look at you and think, Oh, she's strung out. Right. I mean, I'm going to hire her, right? You could, you could fake your way through it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was hiding it from, you know, even my best friend, you know, what didn't even really fully know what was going on. Uh, you know, yeah, because you put your best face forward. We're so great at lying and manipulating our way through everything to get whatever it is that we want. 
And it's not, it's not like I was out completely out of whack. I was still, you know, I was able to still, you know, take care of this girl and pick her up from school and help her with her homework and do all that stuff. But I just knew in the back of my mind, okay, I'm starting to get sick. I don't feel good. When can I get out of here so I can go and get loaded? You know? Um, so it would really just consist of, you know, getting loaded from when getting off of work and then going through my stash, waking up, trying to make sure I saved a little bit for the morning and then doing it all over again. Oh, what a sad life, right? It's just that, yeah, that revolving cycle of just madness. All right, let me take a little break here and then we'll come back. We will be continuing our conversation with Megan H. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. There you will find uh, 70 plus other episodes you can listen to for free. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website if you wish to use it, only if the spirit moves you to do such. Uh, please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Sober Speak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Ms. Megan A. So I want to ask you a question. We have a uh, a Facebook group, uh, a community. Uh, it's a secret Facebook group. And uh, I, I uh, posted out there the other day a, a request to give me some questions that I could ask guests like yourself coming on the episodes. And uh, this one comes from Sarah. And Sarah asks, what was your jumping off point, your turning point? Can you zero in on a moment that brought you into the rooms of AA? Absolutely. So when I was, you know, doing this nannying job and stuff, I also in my crazy drug fueled mind was thinking, you know, I want to get back into radio. I really want to get back into radio. And I uh, wanted to put together another air check that I could send out to PDs and see where I could possibly get hired. And what so I... Oh, program directors. Gotcha. Yeah, oh, PD. Sorry. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry. Thank yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it's um, the biz. <laughs> so I started hanging out with somebody that uh, we were we were going to concert to, concerts together, and he also uh, said that he would be able to help me edit together my air check because my computer was broken and blah blah. blah. So he actually. Uh, is sober. He's my Eskimo. So he uh, had been sober for about uh, four years or something like that. And did you say he's my Eskimo? He did. Yes. What? And I'm sorry. What? That must mean something. What does that mean? Oh my gosh! You've never heard of that saying? I don't think so. No. Okay. So in recovery, your Eskimo is the person that's in the recovery community that helps, kind of leads you into the rooms and is sort of like your saving grace, the one who brought you in, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any idea why they call it the Eskimo, though? I have no idea why it's called that. Okay, well, I really don't. Whoever, whoever may be listening out there, maybe you can send us an yeah, email. Yeah, let us know. I, I would love to know why it is called that, <laughs> but I do know that that that's a that's a thing. Um, so yeah, he he and I were hanging out, and I could just tell that he was getting to the point with me where he was going to have to say to me, "Look, I can't be around you anymore," because I was constantly 
leaving to go get loaded and just high around him. And, you know, he, I could just tell that it was getting that point. And I just thought to myself, I've become that person that I never thought I would become where people don't want to be around me. And I couldn't believe that. And so he had suggested that I go and, 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 you know, get some help and check myself into this hospital and try to go to rehab and blah, blah, blah. So one day I just, I called him and I said, look, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to try to just put myself on a three day hold because I just, I, you know, I just figured if I go and tell them that I want to kill myself, then they'll hold me and then I can't leave and go get loaded and I'll just figure it out from there. So that's what I did. I went to a psychiatric hospital. I said, I want to kill myself. And, uh, you know, they, they put me on a hold and, um, they ended up transferring me because I was on Medi-Cal to this hospital in Long Beach. And this was on new year's going in from 2015 into 2016. I spent new year's in a psychiatric hospital. I got out on new year's day and, uh, he picked me up and he uh, had arranged for me to go into a sober, a sober living in Covina. And so that from there is really where my, my true journey into recovery began. And the reason why my sobriety date is one thirteen is because I reset it um, because I did have one night when I was living in that sober living that I snuck out and I went and I, I got loaded and, uh, but I came back and then I just decided, okay, enough's enough. Like, let's, let's do this for real, for real. So at the beginning of 2016, when you got out of that rehab and you went into the sober living house, did you feel some sort of sense of hope or, I mean, what, what, were, what were your thoughts at that time? I think the most important thing that I felt was desperation. I think that I knew that my options were extremely limited because my dad had just put me through rehab the year before and spent all this money on it. And then, you know, what did I do? I just went out and relapsed again. My, you know, I remember, you know, when I was trying to figure out what the hell to do, I went over to my mom's house and I had driven all this way out to go and see my mom. And I sat there and within two minutes, she said, you know, you're the most selfish person that I've ever met in my life. And we got into a fight and I left and, you know, I just, I just knew I didn't have anybody anymore. Even my best friend, you know, she had caught me smoking heroin in her bathroom and, you know, she had helped me get, you know, jobs and she was trying to help me get money. And, and then she, she sees what I'm doing and, you know, it's just like, I'm burning bridge after bridge after bridge. So, I just knew that I didn't have any, I just didn't have anything. I didn't have, and I just felt like this was not the way that I was raised. This is not the person that my parents raised me to be. And and everything that I was doing was going against my own moral compass. And I just, I just knew that I had been, that this person had been, my Eskimo had been brought into my life for a reason. And, and I did not want my friend who, who died. I did not want his, I didn't want his life to be in vain, you know? And so I just, I just knew this, this had to be it. And everything lined up where, you know, the sober living gave me a bed and they gave me two weeks to figure out how I was going to come up with the money to pay and all that. And, and just from there, kind of everything really snowballed and, and started to, homogenize and come together for me. I love how you phrase that. I've never heard that. It started to homogenize and come together. <laughs> yeah. It's like milk. 
Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So another question that came in from that secret Facebook group that I've been wanting to ask somebody and you get to be the guinea pig here. Uh, Louie asked, she said, give me an example of how we cannot do this recovery quote alone. Does anything come to mind for you in that arena? Well, I just think for me, the whole process of recovery is, is community based. I, I, I don't think I've ever felt like this was something that I was doing alone and I still don't feel that way. I think you know, from me being led into that sober living by someone else in recovery to being around a bunch of women in recovery to going to meetings and being around groups of people in recovery and going to the meeting after the meeting and fellowshipping and working with my sponsor and now working with my sponsees. It just, it's just a never ending cycle of working together. And I know that when I'm having one of those days where I just feel like crap or something is is just not right or whatever it is and I'm just not letting go, I can call another alcoholic and talk with them for 10 minutes and I know that when I got off the phone, I'm going to feel better than I felt before. Or I can go to a meeting and I know that I'm going to walk out with a solution. So for me, it's just been, it's just been everything. You know, Megan, something else that I struggle with, uh, and this is something I'll never have the answer to, but when you were talking about that friend of yours who passed and uh, you didn't want his name to be, uh, or his death to to go off in vain, so to speak, um, I, I still wonder all the time why people like me and you uh, got touched by the hand of God. Somebody picked us up by the scruff of the neck and dropped us in. And there are people like your friend who had to die from this. I'm no more special than he was or anybody else. And uh, I wish I could bottle that up and give it to people. And, you know, there's a lot of ingredients that go into it, but uh, I still struggle with, you know, uh, why did I get picked and, and somebody else did not. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I know there's, there's no reason why, you know, it should have been him over me or anything like that. But what I can tell you is that, um, you know, I have a great relationship with his mother. Um, and, and I talked to his dad, he actually went to, he came to a mutual friend of ours from high school in a sort of a dream. And this was someone that, you know, I hadn't talked to in years. She reached out to me on Instagram. She said, Hey, I have to tell you, you know, his name, his name was Nick. And she said, I, I, she's, she's actually living in the house where he grew up in. So she said one night she, she woke up and she felt his spirit all around her and that he wanted to tell me hello. And I've had like all of these really crazy experiences where it'll be like, um, a bird or something that, you know, we had been together and we, you know, it was like a pelican or something and, and I'll see a pelican and I just go like, that's Nick, like saying hi to me, you know? And so I've had some of these really incredible experiences where I, you know, I truly do believe that there is another side to, to this, that we do go somewhere, that there is a life after this. And, you know, and, and, um, I, I, I do feel his spirit around me a lot. So 
You know, it says in the big book that we have entered the world of the spirit. Uh, and it also talks about how we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension. And that term, we have entered into the world of the spirit, has really been, I, for whatever reason, rocketing through my brain lately. And what you just described to me, from my perspective, is another example of that. Uh, there are things you can't explain. Uh, there are things going around all around me. Uh, there is this particular sixth sense. And uh, that's what we learn to tap into once we try to live this uh, spiritual life set out by Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's just a total journey. All right, so let's talk then a little bit about from when you got in to where you are now, uh, your journey there. I know you talked about the steps. I know you talked about your sponsor, your sponsees and such. So talk to me a little bit about your first swim through the steps, uh, any sort of significant uh, occurrences you have had by moving through the steps. Yeah. So I decided to just jump into this thing head on. I just thought- I can I, imagine that. That's yeah. your personality. I just thought I'm not going to mess around anymore. I'm, I'm in this sober living. I'm willing to wake up at this time, call to check in, sign in and out, da, 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 da. And I just started working on the steps immediately and reading the book. Um, so for me, I think- um, I've done a lot of thorough, like very thorough steps. There was always a writing or some kind of assignment to go along with each step. It wasn't just reading and then moving on to the next step. It was it was actually doing work involved with each step. And I think that that uh, was something that I really needed. Um, I think for me, the God stuff was never difficult. Um, so, you know, once I sort of admitted that I had a problem, which I knew I had a problem since the time I was 21. I knew that I, I, I've known I was a drug addict for a very long time, but I just didn't want to do anything about it. So steps one, two, and three were pretty easy for me because I've always had a faith in a higher power. I've always been a very spiritual person. It's just when I was on drugs, I just felt like the connection was sort of cut between me and my higher power. Um, so, you know, moving into the fourth step, really it was just writing down all of these things that were already in my head you know, getting out these resentments, telling my deepest, darkest, darkest secrets to another person. And for me, when I did the fifth step, it wasn't like, oh my God, I had this crazy spiritual experience. It was just something that you, that you do, you tell someone else all this stuff and it made me feel a part of. And so for me, I really feel like, I mean, you're always sort of working on your character defects, you know, that's just a never ending thing. Moving on to amends, that was for me where the real magic occurred. Um, getting to apologize to my family and, and tell them, you know, th that I was so sorry for all the pain and suffering and worry that I had caused in their lives and what I could do today to make up for that stuff, you know. And, you know, just doing the amends, I think, was just absolutely incredible for me. So had your family at that point at, when you came in kind of washed their hands of you or were they still supporting you or what was the relationship? They had definitely washed their hands of me. Um, and then when I moved into the sober living, I, I, I did run into a situation where I just it was like my second month of needing rent and I just didn't have it yet. I, I hadn't really locked down the job that I needed yet. And so my dad helped me out with the rent. So, you know, and I think that once I got into that sober living and they saw that I was staying there and, and, and all that, they started to see 
that I was taking this seriously. And then they did start to jump on board and start to support me, you know, and, and just sort of, you know, I think that they were a little leery, but they, they were being supportive and they were paying attention to, to what I was doing. Something else caught my attention there. You said that you had always believed in God. You know, a lot of people coming into the program or atheist, agnostic, whatever the case may be. But it sounds to me like you had some sort of uh, a spiritual background. I'm curious to where that came from and what it looked like for you. And, and on the other side of that, how has it changed since actually getting sober? So I think I really attribute it to my mom. She's a very spiritual person. She's more in the sort of metaphysical realm. She is always, uh, you know, condoned meditation and prayer and positive thinking and that we manifest our own lives. And, you know, she's, she's just a very spiritual person. So growing up with that and also growing up with certain in, intuitive gifts uh, for me it was just never a question like i've Let's always slow down there you said intuitive gifts what, what do you mean by that i think i've just always had a really strong intuition where I've, i'll sometimes know things are going to happen before they happen or i remember being young and we lost our pet rabbit and then i had like a flash and i knew i saw it where it was and i grabbed my brother. So I was like, I know where it is. It's over here. And there it was, you know, things like that, you know, from the time I was two years old saying like, Oh mom, grandpa's here. And she goes, well, grandpa lives in Arizona and the doorbell rings and it's my grandpa. Like things like that, like where I just sort of know things are going to happen. I have like this just very deep, like intuitive sense with certain things and being able to read people and scenarios and things like that. So for me, just, it's never been a, a question. I've always just innately felt that there is a, a reason why we're here, that there is, you know, karmically things are, you know, situated in such a way because of things we may have done in the past and that we're here to learn specific lessons and we're here to do certain things that we said that we would do before we came to the earth realm. You just used the word karmically. I don't think I've ever heard that word before. I've heard karma, but I love that. That's karmically. Yeah, that's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I just was never a question. And honestly, nothing has really changed for me being in the program. It's just, it's just a more of a reminder to continue to pray, keep my conscious contact with God going just to be more on top of it and not let it sort of, you know, fall to the wayside. When you pray, do you have a name for what you pray to? I just say God. It's just God, but it's not, it's not masculine. It's not feminine. It's not a Catholic God. It's not a Jewish God. It's, it's, it does, none of that stuff matters to me. Like for me, like religion is fine. If that's what works for you, that's great. But for me, spirituality and God is, is a personal journey. So my God is going to look different from your God. And the universe is so vast and so endless that who's to say there is no right or wrong, you know? And, and even if, even if there is no afterlife, even if everything we die and everything goes black, who cares? Like, why does it matter? Just be a good person. 
it doesn't matter. You're going to be dead anyways. It doesn't matter. So why do we spend so much time squabbling about things that will never matter? It doesn't, you know, just be a good person. That's, that's really what I believe. And so who's a role model in your recovery? I love my sponsor. She's, she's amazing. You know, she's so great. So we could give her a little shout out here. Her name is Tish. And Tish? Yes. Yeah. Tish M. And she is, uh, she's just really graceful and gentle, funny. She's someone that she's become my friend, you know, through, through this whole journey. Um, I feel comfortable and that I can call her and talk to her about anything. And, and, you know, it's, it's been great. I also have a friend named Sam who has been there. He's just been in my life since I got sober and, he and I talk every couple months and he's someone that I can just always call and he'll give me the real answer. He'll tell it like it is. He'll be honest. And, uh, he's gotten me through some really hard times as well. God bless you. What's one thing that people may not know about Megan H, uh, that you want to share this little out of the norm, so to speak? I don't know. I, I guess, I guess, I do want to touch on this because it is a, such an important part of my story is that when I got sober and I was 60 days sober in this sober living, I ended up getting reached out to by someone who worked at a radio station in Los Angeles and she needed to go on a maternity leave and they were looking for somebody to fill in. So I got to go in to this radio station they were owned by the same parent company that had the, by the one that had fired me in San Francisco. And I got to go in and I got to tell them my story because they wanted to bring me in, but they also, you know, there was like an HR report, like this person, you know, should not be brought back in because of what I had done. And I got to sit there and I got to tell them my whole story and that I was in sober living, that I had made a massive mistake that I missed doing radio more than anything in my life and that I wanted to do it again. And they gave me another chance at this station in Los Angeles. And not only that, but then a year later, after, you know, being at the station in LA, that was like always the dream station I wanted to work at. A year later, the station in San Francisco brought me back on the air there. So I got to make my amends to those people that, you know, I had wronged in San Francisco. And I get to be back on that radio station now today. And I get to do it with integrity and dignity and honesty. And I get, and you know, I just found out that like my ratings are really good there, like number one in our demo and, you know, and because I'm coming from a place of authenticity and sincerity and truth. And I will talk and I talk about my recovery on the radio. I'm really open about it. I've had so many people reach out to me and tell me their stories and you know, I have people that update me, Hey, I'm 110 days sober today. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, talked people into going into rehab. I've talked people into going into sober livings. And so, you know, I really, I do, I res- I respect the traditions of this program, but I also believe that, you know, we're in a time where I think people need to hear that, that recovery is possible and that it's okay and that here I am, someone like public figure, and I'm talking about recovery in a cool way, and I'm happy, joyous, and free. And people want to—they're going to know, hey, what is she doing in her life that 
is making her this way. Yeah, why is she so excited with all those exclamation points <laughs> communicating with us? <laughs> so, you know, this, um, this program is just absolutely transformed every aspect of my life. I have things today that I never thought I would have. Like I, I own a home today. You know, I have a dog. I have incredible friends. I, I'm literally living the life, you know, beyond my wildest dreams today. And, and it's only just beginning, you know? Um, and it's not to say that there aren't dark times and hard times and bouts of depression and things like that. But the, the main thing is that I'm rooted in the solution today. And I am, I want to know how, I want to know how I can change what's going on. Okay. What are the steps I need to do for me to get out of this? Who do I need to call? What meetings do I need to go to? What, what step work do I need to do? Do I just need to sit in it and let it pass and just go through the, go through it and feel it? You know, uh, do I need to be meditating all, you know, all of these things going through being on anxiety medication for the first few years of, or I guess two and a half years of my recovery to getting off of all that medication and learning how to deal with anxiety sober for reals. You know, it's just, it's like everything is just a, it's just a journey, but I feel like I'm not, I'm not afraid to, to do it. It's, 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 it's not like the fear is 100% gone, but I just, I have the guts to face it today. And that's all just been from the, the tools I've learned from this program. So we have a lot of people who listen to this uh, program who are sober curious. They're not quite in recovery yet, and they're trying to figure out if recovery is in fact for them. I hear some bad press about recovery, you know, uh, in 12-step programs in particular. Uh, I'm not sure why. Um, You know, for me, it's been my life and it literally saved my life. But if you were to talk to the that subset of uh, folks out there who are considering uh, the 12 steps and getting in a recovery program, what would be your mm, words of wisdom, if you will? I think sort of with everything, you can look at it and you can find the good and you can find the negative. Uh, I personally have never experienced anything negative. You know, I, I think I carry myself with a sense of just don't, you know, don't mess with me, you know, like like don't, don't talk with me if, if, unless it's going to be about recovery. I'm very much that way when I'm, when I'm in the rooms, I'm, I'm not here for drama. This is not high school. I'm not here to flirt. I am not here for you to ask me out on a date or hit on me or anything like that, but that's the world. I mean, you, you, you have to, carry yourself in such a way and you have to have boundaries within your life. So I think as far as recovery goes, I, I, I always like when someone says, you know, just, just try working all the steps. And then if it doesn't work, then you can leave, you know, because 10 times out of 10, I'm sorry, but if you really work the steps and you find a great sponsor and, and you're doing the deal, your, your life is going to transform in such a way that you're not ever going to want to go back to the way that you were living before. It's just a greater way of, of existing. I mean, it's just, it's literally an outline for how to live. And, um, I think, 
Adam T is uh, someone that I, I really like listening to and hearing him share. And he talks about how when a computer is on the fritz, you put it into a, a recovery mode. And then the computer is able to sort itself out and, and save itself, you know? And that's what we're, what we're trying to do with our own brains. We're reprogramming our brains. And it's just a better way to live because it's not only being of service in 12 steps and in the program, but it's also learning to be of service within your own life. Because now when I'm at work, I'm utilizing these tools there where, you know, if I see somebody who needs a hand or, you know, talking to people about, you know, whether they're struggling with this or that, or just something needing to get done, I'm going to step in there and I'm going to do it because that's what I've been taught how to do. So for me, it's just, it's just like, why not just check it out with an open mind? You know, I really like that set aside prayer that tells you to set aside everything you think you know about the program or the book. It's like, don't, don't listen to anybody else. You forge your own path. We all work the steps differently. We all read the book and internalize it differently, you know? So it's like a buffet. You just take what you want and you leave the rest and, and that's it. So it's like, if you're going to find fault at it, it's because you're choosing to pretty much. If you were to be able to rent out a billboard there in LA and you were going to put out a message that uh, other alcoholics or addicts could see as they were driving by regarding recovery, what would you put on that billboard? I think, I think it would just be a beautiful piece of art. I think it would just be like an oasis or the most beautiful things in nature on a billboard of just where you look at it and you just go, I want to go there. And then maybe it would just say that go there or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> something like that. Because you can't really put into words what this program is going to do for you and how it's going to change your life. It's an experience that you have to go through. It's like traveling. You can tell somebody all day long that going to Israel is the most amazing place ever, but until they actually go there and eat the food and walk along the beach in Tel Aviv, they're not going to have any idea what you're talking about and what that means. So that's the same exact experience, you know, it is with the program because I had, you know, I'd been in and out of the rooms since the time I was 21, but I never experienced it like this until I was 29. And it was a completely different experience this time because I was ready. I was surrendered. And I just, I just had enough, you know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just, uh, I, I had a fresh perspective and everything had lined up for me to be able to experience it for reals this time. You have done an absolute incredible job on this. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that you leave out there for the listeners? Huh. I think for me, one of the most rewarding things uh, in this program is sponsorship. I really can't state that enough. And what I also want people to know with sponsorship is that it is a very, um, it's a big responsibility and you really do want to find the right person for you. Don't be afraid to hurt someone's feelings. If you need to move on and find someone else, find the right fit for you. 
And I think for me, sponsoring other women has been so helpful in my recovery. It takes me outside of myself. It keeps me in line as far as checking in on my own recovery and making sure that I'm doing the things that I need need to be doing. Just being able to see the light come on in someone else's eyes is an absolutely incredible experience. It's it's almost like a, a deeper thing than a friendship even. It's, it's, a, it's a total trust scenario. And so I just, you know, I really want to encourage people, you know, and I know that it can be scary. You know, there's, there's people who are a couple years sober and they've never sponsored someone. And I just say, go for it. Just do it. Just go for it. So, you know, if you're, if you're afraid to sponsor, don't be afraid. You're going to figure it out. It's going to be fine as long as your heart's in the right place. Just, just go for it. That's right. The, uh, the messiness sometimes is where we learn the most. And it, exactly. it's okay to be messy and to make mistakes. Uh, yeah. We're not ever going to be perfect. And it's just all learning. Everything in this life, even though we experience it as being quote unquote bad, it's just a, it's an opportunity for learning. God bless you, Miss Megan. This, is, uh, this has been a real treat. Uh, I'm so glad. Thank you, Lauren. If you're listening to this out there, for getting me in touch with uh, Miss Megan, uh, I wish Megan that uh, you were here, uh, and me and my wife and my family could give you a big hug and let you know we think of how much we think of you. This is uh, this has been really a pleasure, and uh, I hope we get to meet each other like an actual eyeball to eyeball here. Yes. Days me and, too. Uh, me too. This has been a, a, a true honor, and you know, you just have such a a warm aura and just positive energy. And I just think that you doing this is uh, such a great service to our world. So, well, let's hope this goes. At, well, I know it will go out to all four corners of the world, and when it does, let's hope it falls on some ears that are ready to hear it, uh, and it can help them out there. And uh, God bless you. And uh, hope our paths cross again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Just in case you didn't notice it, that was Megan's dog, Juno, that you heard at the beginning of the podcast. We had to take a little break and Megan needed to let Juno out of the house. But apparently Juno did not realize there was a podcast being recorded. So what'd you think about Miss Megan? I would love to know what you think. Uh, Feel free to reach out to me about Megan or any of the other guests. I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. So I can tell you from my end, Megan was just such a pleasure to spend time with. She's got such good vibes and character, and she's full of life and uh, just a really, really special soul. All right, so now we're going to move on to some uh, additional listener feedback. Uh, But keep in mind before I go there, I was so, so appreciate you sharing the podcast with two or three family members. Uh, It is a great, great way to support the show. Uh, You can also join our secret Facebook group by sending me your email associated with your Facebook account to John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. There are tons of of amazing like-minded friends of Bill W., Al-Anon, and other 12-step programs in there like OA and some others. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, I am at at SoberSpeak, all 
one word. And I do read all of my direct messages and I would love to hear from you. All right. So now to the rest of the listener feedback. So Bob L writes in and Bob says, episode 75 with Maria. Enjoyed listening to Maria. What a great AA lady. I agree with you, Mr. Bob. Maria is definitely a great AA lady. Uh, Carol also writes in and she says, episode 75 with Maria. Thank you, John, for having Maria on Sober Speak. This episode was so close to my heart. I was a closet drinker, only drinking at home. Thank you, Maria, for telling your story. And Carol also wanted to add in, thank you for all you do, John. Your podcasts are my meetings between meetings, and I cannot make it to a meeting. Peace, love, and serenity. I said that wrong. When I cannot make it to a meeting. All right. Jolene writes in, and Jolene is from Al-Anon, and she says, by the way, isn't there a, uh, a song, a Jolene, 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 Jolene? Oh, Jolene's probably heard that a million times. I'm so sorry, Jolene. I'm so sorry. I live in a suburb of St. Louis, Missouri called Wildwood. Hey, that's a kind of a great pace for uh, somebody in Al-Anon, huh? Wildwood. Anyway, I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon over the last five years. I attend open AA meetings on a regular basis. I especially love speaker meetings, which is why I love, with a big pink heart, Sober Speak. Early on, I found compassion and understanding for the disease via open AA meetings. The more I spend in more time I spend in the rooms, I realize I have a disease as well, just not the allergy. I have chosen other things to obsess about, such as food and control and others. I'm sure I qualify for numerous 12-step programs, don't we all, Miss Jolene? I'm grateful for, quote, the wounds that have brought me closer to my higher power, unquote. Don't know where I heard that, but I am ever so grateful. I found Sober Speak by searching on my podcast app. I recommend it to all newbies and anyone I sponsor in Al-Anon, Jolene. Well, thank you, Jolene, and I always love to hear from the Al-Anon community community. Did I say that right? Did I just say community? Anyway, community. Mike writes in, he says, John, I am 29 days sober and attending meetings and I have a sponsor and thanks to your podcast. I have recommended Sober Speak to so many folks in the fellowship. I'm listening to Patrick B. as I write this email. If you could invite me to the secret Facebook group, it would be great. We did that for Mr. Mike. I'm a 39-year-old executive at a startup company in Boston, Mass. I have been, I have been dipping my toes in AA slash sobriety for the last year. I have finally surrendered to God and have stopped doing it, quote, Mike's way. I have become a member of the Weymouth, Massachusetts One Day Group, which meets every weekday. We are a small group, but have incredible discussions and support for each other. I have been blessed with a sponsor, who ironically is named Bill. He, along with his wife, I wonder wonder if her name is Lois, anyway... Uh, is also a friend of Bill W. Are helping me find my, are helping me with my first four step, and I am also excited. That is fantastic. Anyway, oh God bless you all and your speakers. You are my meeting between meetings. Sincerely, Mike A. Just another bozo on the bus. 
Well, Mike A., from another bozo on the bus, me, to another bozo on the bus, you, thank you so much for writing in. Tara writes in on Instagram from Montreal. Is that a good French accent? Probably not. Thank you so much for your podcast. Uh, I've been sober for eight months, my sixth attempt, but my first time in AA, and I woke up feeling so scared and anxious. I tossed around pulling my hair out for a second, and then I put on sober speak, and it got me out of bed. I cannot express in words how grateful I am to you and your podcast. Thank you so much, Tara from Montreal. Oh, Tara, I remember seeing that. That absolutely made my day. God bless you, and uh, uh, you keep hanging in there. Keep me posted. Joe writes in, he says, Hey, John, I started listening to your podcast in my car about a month ago. It is my meeting between meetings, so thank you. I really like it. I live in Aliso Viejo, California. I hope I got all that right. And attend most of my meetings at Laguna Canyon Club. I have a sobriety date of February 26th. 2018. I'm 59 years of age and I am blessed to have made it to the AA program. I could have missed the opportunity of a lifetime. I have been married for 38 years and I'm going through the program with my wife and that has been really tough. My wife continues to struggle and I feel I am growing away from her. I go to some double winter meetings as well. They call them Al-Anon, and it's an Al-Anon's men's meeting. The Al-Anon meetings help, but a lot has happened in our relationship because of the long struggle. So when I came in, I was ready to go to any length for my sobriety, but had no idea how much more there is to the program. I wish I had come in years ago. I hear that many times, Mr. Joe, but I had no idea how much more there is. Oh, I'm so sorry. I have made the greatest connections in my life with people, and I am really learning what a great life I have now. I also have two kids and three grandkids, so that's a bit about myself. Keep up the fantastic service. God bless Joe D. Well, you know, Joe D., people struggling with a marriage before and after sobriety is a very, very common scenario. I know it doesn't make it any less uh, challenging in your case, but as you're doing all the right things, you're talking about it, you're getting down on our meetings, and I wish you the best, my friend. Nancy writes in and she says, I would love to be part of your communications of all types. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, my name is Nancy J, I live in Illinois, I am in OA. I love the big book and the 12 steps. I have lost 105 pounds, abstinent and recovered for four years. Thank you so much. Excited to have found you. And I know Nancy ended up finding us on Instagram and Facebook and all over the place. And congratulations on your abstinence, Miss Nancy. Lynn writes in and she says, Hi, John. I live in Eden, Prairie, Minnesota. I went to my first AA meeting last Saturday and then again Sunday and again 
today. <laughs> Did I get that right? Anyway, uh, again, Sunday and then again today. I am at the very beginning of this process. I Googled AA podcast and that's how I found Sober Speak. I have listened to one episode so far and that was yesterday. I just chose a sponsor today, a very kind woman that I met last Saturday. I believe I am what you would call a high-functioning alcoholic. My drink of choice has been wine, typically by myself in the evening, with dinner, and afterwards on a daily basis. I have gained lots of weight as a result, and I have tried unsuccessfully on my own to stop. I have reached out and I am hopeful. Well, I'm hopeful for you, Miss Nance, excuse me, Miss Lynn, they, because you have reached out and you're doing the right things, right? You're taking the right steps, get in there, work those steps and take it a day at a time. Okay, Maria writes in and Maria was actually on our podcast last week. She, we recorded an episode with Maria and Maria said, I wanted to tell you how awesome God has been today. Six years ago, and she wrote this on Good Friday, on Good Friday, I was already drunk by lunchtime. My kids were home from school and the two boys asked me if they could go play at my son's friend's house. My husband had, rightly so, taken my car keys away so I couldn't drive anywhere. My son's friend only lives half a mile away from our house, so we walked. About a halfway into our walk, the alcohol really settled in, and I found myself walking very swaggered. For focus, I walked with my arms around each of the boys' shoulders, although I was convinced that I looked just like a loving mother taking their sons for a nice walk. I remember one woman who was running by stopped to ask if I was okay. One of them must have called my husband because out of nowhere, his car appeared. He quickly swooped up all of us, dropped the boys off at a friend's house, and dropped me home. Dropped me at home. So, she put, full of shame. Today, I had almost forgotten that story and that it is, once again, Good Friday. So I needed to be reminded of that horrible day. Today, I also got a phone call from a sweet woman who is struggling so hard to stay sober and love herself. I can be there for her. I am sober. Today, my story is with you and Sober Speak comes out. It all makes sense, right? God is good. Maria. Well, Maria, I thank you so much for being on the episode last week. And you know what? God is good to you, to me, to all of us. Sometimes we just need to stop and look around. And finally, to wrap this up, Mr. Fernando writes in from Spain. And he says, good day, John. I have listened to Sober Speak all Easter. Multiple episodes, new ones, old ones, my favorites, etc. Sober Speak has helped me to endure some personal life turbulence. I have to get a new sponsor soon 
as I am drifting gradually. I moved from my hometown and now I am battling con to connect with my new group. Therefore, it is even harder to find a sponsor. All the best, my friend, and thank you for your time and effort as it means a lot to me. My meeting in between meetings has ended up being my meeting, Fernando. Mr. Fernando, I just love you to death, my friend. Uh, I want the best for you. Um, I pray for you. Um, I thank you so much for writing in. I, I, I just, I'm glad that Sober Speak can be a small part of your sobriety. I'm going to pray that you find a sponsor. Please, you pray that you find a sponsor. And please also, everybody pray for Fernando that not only he finds a sponsor, but that he finds a good home group and a support system. All right, everybody. That's it for now. By the way, I will mention one other thing. Fernando, I hate to tell you this, but when I see your name, I sing that ABBA song in my head. Anybody ever heard that? Fernando. I am so sorry I had to mention that, Fernando. I could have really left that out. In fact, I could go and edit that out, but I'm probably not going to. <laughs> All right, everybody. God bless. Have a good week. We'll be back next week. Adios.